Welcome to the Reform Rookie Podcast. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so? Worthy vicar, do we find anything here of relics? By faith man lives and is made righteous, not by what he does for himself. Be it adoration of relics, singing of masses, pilgrimages to Rome, purchase of pardon for his sins, but by faith in what God has done for him already through his son. Dr. Martin, if you leave the Christian to live only by faith, if you sweep away all good works, all these glorious things you dismiss as mere crutches, what will you put in their place? Christ. Man only needs Jesus Christ. simple no frills but it seems to work and then I when I'm done recording this I I send it somehow some way magic to, <laughs> to uh to Anthony and he puts it on the reform rookie website so if you're listening to this and you're listening to the tape and like why is he talking about whatever uh you're already listening to it on reform rookie so thank you uh all right so last time we are still in chapter one of, of Leviticus um and last time we actually talked you know we 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 kind of reviewed some of the things that we, we've talked about previously and um, try to bring some things up to where we were. But last time we talked pretty much entirely about debt relief. And, um, you know, the first chapter in uh, Gary North's commentary, Boundaries and Dominion, it, it talks about uh, sacrifice, uh, stewardship, and uh, debt. I think that was it, right? Hold on one second. So, yeah, sacrifice, stewardship, and debt. And so there's a lot of underlying principles that we don't normally think of when we read through Leviticus. We just see all the, you know, the skinning animals and killing animals and blood everywhere and, and kidneys and lobes of liver. Uh, but, yeah, it seems like, well, that seems like I don't think I'm ever going to try to read that again. I'll, I'll read through one, the Bible once and I've, I've covered it. Um, but just as we talked about in earlier uh, sessions about how there's principles in scripture that we actually are blessed by today. You know, our criminal justice system, the idea of, you know, um, you don't have to incriminate yourself. You don't have to offer extra help to them when they're trying to prosecute you. Um, here, Jesus was silent before his interrogators. He didn't answer every question that came his way and he wasn't sinning not to do so. Um, so there's, there's all these principles that are found in scripture, in the law, and they have application today. So talking about stewardship and Gary North is an economist and he's talking about, he, he mentions these, these spiritual truths and these are important and, and vital. Um, but it has application for our, our economy today. Uh, how we think about debt and whether being in debt to others and, and this hierarchy of debt. If, you know, we're, if we're in debt to someone who's unjust and, and their debt gets called by someone else, um, we, we suffer from that. And scripture tries to, it doesn't forbid debt because that's the reality of, of poverty and income and, and some of those things happen, but it's, it's a blessing not to be in debt. 
you know, debt is, is considered slavery. Uh, the borrower is slave to the lender. So we, we talked about a number of those things. We, we talked about the, uh, the parable of the, uh, the unjust servant, the unjust steward. He, he wouldn't forgive and, and saw how that had practical applications even today. So, so we covered that pretty in depth. And um, now I want to, we'll hopefully wrap up the chapter uh, tonight, but we'll see. Um, so the, the discussion tonight is about new covenant burdens, the story. Well, actually, this is the, this is the second half or the final portion of the, uh, of the, God bless you, of the, uh, of the debt relief. And then there's one more section and then a conclusion. So new covenant burdens. We, we're talking about sacrifices. We're talking about um, things that I mentioned before about these feasts and festivals that people would have to travel uh, to go and, and celebrate. But you know, there's an economic cost with that. It, it costs something to go and travel great distances, and it's not easy. It's not like, ah, oh, you know, I'm going to you know, hop on I-95 and <laughs> you know, drive an hour at 60 miles an hour, and there, you know, I'm there, and I can be home, you know, maybe we'll stay overnight, and then we're home the next day. I mean, obviously, some of these things were, were days long, weeks long, or, well, a week long or so, um, but they had to walk. You know, they're on foot, you know, maybe a donkey. They're not getting there quick, and they're not getting home quick. And there's all sorts of other responsibilities at home that they have to leave behind. They have to trust that God will, he promises to protect their property and their family and their belongings when they have to leave. Uh, because there'd be surrounding nations that would come and, and raid the land. But he says, if you're faithful to me, I will protect you. So they have all these costly animal sacrifices. We've talked over and over again about how the, the whole burnt offering, this first chapter, what it's about, is about, you know, this has to be a perfect animal. It has to be blemish-free. It has to. Be, it's costly to you. Um, so now in the new covenant, now that Christ has come, and, and we talked about how that burnt offering was, you know, pointing to Christ along with the others. But now we don't go to Jerusalem, right? We we don't engage in in costly animal sacrifices. So there's economic burdens that have been removed. However, <laughs> um, economic obligations still remain. Uh, he says, we still owe to God-fearing men what old covenant saints owed to God-fearing men. Sometimes we actually owe more. Uh, morally mandatory charitable loan in, mosaic, in the mosaic economy. Like you, you were obligated at times to loan and to, you know, to provide funds to people who were in need. Um, and if you were the recipient of that, if you borrowed money but you didn't pay it back, you could find yourself in involuntary servitude, right? Um, well, indentured servitude perhaps, but you had an obligation to work off your debt, just like we see um, you know, that, that unjust steward who threw someone in prison because he didn't pay the debt when he had just escaped debtor's prison himself for a far greater debt. That was the idea. You could be thrown in prison and either have to try to work it off somehow or someone in your family, a kinsman redeemer, would come and out of mercy and pity pay the debt that you owe um, these were things that you would have to possibly face in the mosaic economy and yet in the new covenant jesus says to lend and expect nothing in return uh, but he says your reward will be great in heaven right and when jesus is talking about you know lending and not expecting anything back he's not talking about a business loan <laughs> He's not talking about like, well, you have to give a loan to anyone who comes over and asks you for money. Uh, we need to be careful to, to understand the context and, and a message that Jesus is 
offering. Some people, they get so focused on the red letters, they think that everything else Jesus didn't say, as if you know the Holy Spirit did not uh, inspire every word of Scripture. And so we have to be careful not to get into that trap. But he's not saying you just have to give out your money to anyone who asks for any reason. And just because obviously in this world today, Christians would be the brokest people on earth because people are just like, oh, can I borrow some money? <laughs> but you didn't pay me for last week. Ah, uh, come on, man. You know what Scripture says. <laughs> because unbelievers always know what Scripture says when it somehow, when it somehow benefits them or makes you look bad. Uh, and you could take that to the bank. <laughs> um, so these aren't foolish loans. What's that? Yeah, literally. Yeah, they will take you to the ATM and clear you out. Um, so these aren't foolish loans to rich enemies that would use, be used to destroy us later, put us in debt with covenant breakers. But he's talking about acts of mercy to help the deserving poor, and that's an important word, escape circumstances of affliction, the circumstances that might be beyond their control. But we're not called to subsidize evil. Um, we're to show intelligent mercy, he says, when a truly impoverished debtor cannot repay due to forces beyond his control, then we are to forgive the debt. And in doing so, we're making a sacrificial offer of forgiveness. Does that make sense? <laughs> you know, and that's something where people like, we're kind of leery about that anyway. Any, you know, money's a funny subject among people. Um, and you hear about in the families, you know, there's a death in the family, there's an inheritance, and all of a sudden, <laughs> Everyone's got an angle. People are fighting and nitpicking over things, uh, and it can it can split up families, right? And you hear someone who comes into money, and everyone all of a sudden comes out of the woodwork. Long lost relatives and cousins, like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> you don't remember me, but I'm like the second cousin of your aunt from over here, and they need this surgery, and they really need money, and um, it's a mess. Money is uh, it's a difficult subject at times. I mean, you talk about relationships and married couples and like one of the biggest things that they fight over is money. Um, so we have to be wise about our, our finances, but we have to have a, a giving heart. We have to have generous hearts. Uh, you know, money, like everything else that, you know, we talk about in the Old Testament, you know, when, when we're giving our best animal for sacrifice, right, back then, it, it was a, it was, a reminder, a, a public recognition on our part, a public admission on our part, um, and a reminder to us that God actually owns everything, <laughs> you know, and we owe him everything. Uh, you know, uh, we owe him our very lives. We deserve to die, and yet he gives us a sacrifice in our place. Um, and then we sacrifice this animal, taking on that debt, but he leaves it at one animal in that particular case, not everything that you have. But it means that we're stewards, and he gives us permission to own the rest and to care for the rest. And we have liberty to do what we want with that to, uh, you know, within lawful parameters. But we should always remember, as I mentioned last week, stewardship is inescapable. You are a steward. You know, we're, we're not autonomous. We're not, you know fully independent, you know, makers of our own wealth. Whatever we have, we have because God has given it to us. So when God has blessed us financially, we should have open hands. You know, we should be generous. Uh, and remembering that, you know, when you're doing, when you're lending to the poor, God says you're lending to him. You're lending to the Lord when you lend to the poor. Uh, so we want to be not 
tight-fisted and, and greedy and stuff like that. That's entirely different from the government deciding <laughs> how generous you should be with your money, um, you know, through taxation and programs. And we're going to talk about that because that's what happens. This is why there's an economic uh, perspective that Scripture gives us that when you set God aside, as if you could do such a thing, but when we pretend to set God aside and, and set aside his standard, we find all sorts of disaster. Um, you know, whether you, you try to go um, <laughs> perfectly free market where you're perfectly autonomous or you look to the state to control everything, neither one of these things, looking to those as sovereign institutions with no God over it, is uh is foolhardy so you know, god won't collect what we owe to him if we publicly acknowledge that jesus has paid our gigantic debt um so we have this <laughs> gary north calls it a shift in covenants because he's presbyterian <laughs> but we have a new covenant in, in christ right we go from this uh covenant we go to this covenant of grace but we're still required to suffer losses when God extends financial mercy through us to impoverished debtors. The legal right of a poor man to declare bankruptcy and escape his obligation to repay beyond the market value of all that he has, which he forfeits. So, I mean, you're probably familiar that we have bankruptcy laws in the U.S., right? Um, you can... I don't know if they've changed it. It used to be you could change... Uh, you could change... You could declare bankruptcy every seven years. Where do you think they got that number from? <laughs> that's, that's a biblical principle. The idea of the, that Sabbath year of, of release. Um, um, there used to be debtors' prisons, and they've gotten rid of that. Do you have a question or a comment? Would we suggest that bankruptcy is a good law, though? Would we suggest it's a good law? Yes, because God permits... Um, you know, that in a sense where there's a release of, of debts, uh, our problem is because we set so many biblical principles aside that it's it's another way to corrupt the poor, to encourage people. I, I mean, you, you think about bankruptcy today and how many people are, are bankrupt, not because like, not just because like a business, you know, the market turned down and, you know, went south and, and they had something legitimate, and then all of a sudden, everything kind of collapsed, and so they went bankrupt. But how often it is like, I ran out my credit cards, all ten of them, <laughs> and, you know, and now i got to declare bankruptcy. But there's a problem there because, I mean, you know, we talk about intelligent mercy. We talk about, you know, I mean, God condemns usury, you know, like um, abusive interests on loans and whatnot. And you look at a credit card, <laughs> and that's like their business model. <laughs> is this is how they make money? Is by charging people way too much interest, you know. But if they they give it to them with no accountability, they don't know how you're spending that money, you know. They don't know if you're, you know, if you're investing in something, you're buying groceries, you're going to Atlantic City. Just here, here's thousands of dollars, you know. Be sure to pay it back at twenty five percent interest. You know, and that's not a joke because that's that's a common interest rate for credit cards. So they they give people enough rope to hang themselves, and then people have the opportunity to then declare bankruptcy and try to rebuild that credit so they can get another crazy credit card and, and get into debt again. So it's um 
bankruptcy is not a bad thing, but it's something that can be abused and is often abused. And like they they factor that into their their financial estimates. You know, a credit card company and they have insurance for like when people declare bankruptcy, when they're not going to repay them. But that all gets worked in and it gets passed along down the line. He actually mentions in that that, you know, if you have a legitimate bankruptcy where like all you have is like your assets and, and you have nothing else, you know, that's wise. But he goes, you would be wiser still to try to repay your creditors if you can in the future. Like you get that freedom, like you're free from the debt. But if you truly want to, you know, try to honor God and do what's right, if you have the ability to repay later on, then you should. You should try to honor that. You shouldn't try to make any. You shouldn't try to profit off of someone else taking a loss off of you, right? So if I I lent you money, and you know you had this business idea that was really good and really solid, and then something happened and the thing just didn't work out, um, and so you're you're bankrupt and you're like I can't repay. You know, if this, they call it like a brother loan, a brother or sister loan, right? Um, so if among Christians you give money to someone, um, you know, not expecting interest, just well, pay me back when you can or whatever, and then they can't, by the law of Christ, you'd be like, don't worry about it, you know, and, and you, you take that on. Now, you have to be a wise steward with your money. You shouldn't give money you don't have. <laughs> you shouldn't give money while I'll just take a, you know, cash advance off the credit card <laughs> they, i don't recommend that you know because then that's that that hierarchy of debt right so when that when that bill comes due it trickles down but you know and, and you don't want to put your family in a position where they can't take care of their you know you can't pay the bills you can't feed your uh you know feed your family or whatever but if you've had this money and it's here and you have it to be able to give to someone and then their plans don't work out you could say in christ don't worry about it. It's forgiven, right? Now, if then your business turns around or something else works out, like you're making a ton of money, and you're like, yeah, but you forgave me that debt. <laughs> you know, I shouldn't be coming and looking, well, hey, you're doing much better now because I forgave the debt. But if you're doing well financially and you're able to repay the debt, then great, you know? So those are trying to follow biblical principles as far as how does it work among Christians and stuff. And how, you know, if we're going to invest our money in certain ways, how do we go about that? So bankruptcy laws are a legitimate aspect of a Christian society, right? There's there's a biblical principle underlying that. And again, every seven years, at least that's what it was, um, is echoing what we see in the, the law of sabbatical release. So if in the U.S., if a debtor is willing to forfeit all his assets except the clothes on his back and the tools of his trade – He's identified himself as an impoverished, impoverished person. He's therefore allowed to escape the demands of his creditors by declaring bankruptcy. And like I said, if he's wise, he'll repay his debts, uh, his creditors if he can. He owes so much to God, he should not seek to profit from the sacrifices borne by those willing to extend credit to him. Question? Yeah, no, one thing, about, one thing about bankruptcy, it's not like you declare yourself bankrupt. Mm -hmm. And I absolve all my, I can't pay you, I am bankrupt. You mm -hmm. actually go to a court. Yeah. And there's a judge yep. who looks over your finances and how much you owe, how much your income is, and then decides, yes, you may claim bankruptcy or no, you may not. Right. So it it's also involves an impartial judge. You would so hope so, called, yeah. So-called impartial Yeah. Well, in a case like that, I mean, 
probably we, we don't think of that as a as a political thing so far but you never know um but yeah there is because it is um the, the state is involved with that because generally these aren't relational transactions sometimes they are i mean sometimes you have to file you know or could have to file bankruptcy and it's like well your friend but they owe you money and you have like a contract you have some sort of legal obligation and that has to be dealt with or you know if they want to come after you if they're not believers or whatever like that then they can say well i want to lean on his his wages there you know his paycheck uh, he owes me money and he's got the money and he's not giving it to me and so that you know that's why you take someone to, to court right a small claims court or whatever if someone owes you something and they refuse to pay then you sue them for that now christians shouldn't be suing one another that's something that goes against biblical principles unfortunately you see it way too often especially like in these higher things um what's his face is suing the school that he just got released from i don't even want to mention the name uh, yeah yeah um you know with, with all the scandals and stuff like that and they let him go but apparently he didn't like the what they said so he's suing them I'm like <laughs> you're not helping the case there chief um you know so christians should not be suing one another i mean paul goes so far as to say why not rather just be wronged right you've lost already at this point you know to bring you know brothers in christ bringing a case because they can't get along and they can't love each other and work things out that they have to bring it up before unbelievers how does how does christ look there you know um what's all this bible stuff you guys talk about but yeah when when push comes to shove and money's involved all of a sudden it's a different story so um we need to be careful because how we how we steward our money our finances is uh you know a representation for better or worse of the god we serve um and this is why god told them you know telling them like they would lend to other nations and they wouldn't borrow right it would be a curse for it to be reversed you know uh, slavery is a curse debt <laughs> um slavery under certain conditions uh debt you know is a, is a negative thing and here we see this in america <laughs> in scripture it seems like oh well you know uh children are a blessing debt's a curse in america we we reverse it we, we say it the other way around you know we're like we're we're just selfish in that respect we we don't think biblically but so this is in terms of debt relief um even among christians and, and even in society we see that there's room for that we see biblical principles still being applied with the bankruptcy law and then with uh loans among christians about how we should do it and, and keep in mind this is about this is about stewardship how we're stewarding um, the resources God has given us. The next thing uh, to talk about is mandatory sacrifices and free markets. Because um, we, we all look at free market as a virtue. And free market is a good thing. But I had the question I had asked a couple of sessions ago was like, as far as a sovereign, you know, what's, what's the best thing? A sovereign free market or a sovereign state. Um, and that's a problem because like they're, if we're looking at them as, sovereign in and of themselves that's the catch because no one is sovereign above god you know i mean we can sometimes we sometimes talk about that and we sound like well i'm a, you know we're a sovereign nation you can't come and mess with our elections I and mean, we can do it to you you can't do it with us um that was a joke <laughs> it's what we do it's not funny though it's a joke but it's not funny because we do it um we mm, all right I'll put on my tinfoil hat but there's massive evidence that we interfere with other countries 
elections and politics because we're looking for our benefit. And we scream bloody murder if anyone dares return the favor to us. But I digress. I had no point, no purpose in, in I had no intention, no intention of, of hitting on that. But um, couldn't help yourself. Couldn't help myself, yeah. <laughs> the devil made me do it. Anyway, moving on, moving on. Mandatory sacrifices and free markets. Does everyone understand? Any have any questions about what we just covered? Yes. Um, I don't know if this is exactly on topic, but when you were saying slavery is a curse and debt is a curse, um, I was just thinking about how, you know, like how in a lot of in Pentecostal churches, like they talk about how there are um, like family curses. Is that like a whole different thing? It's a little different. Actually, I wanted to. I mean, I, I try to jump over the debt. Like we kind of view debt as a curse. You know, in terms of like what God says is a blessing versus a curse. Like uh, the blessing would be that we would lend to others and not borrow. You know, and, and a curse would be that we're borrowing and not lending. You know, talking about like you know, you'll be the head and not the tail and, and that kind of thing. <sighs> Slavery can be uh, a curse, and in, in some respects, it is a curse. And then there's was a positive way to put that read doug wilson <laughs> um <laughs> no i mean there's actually ways where i mean slavery sometimes a blessing because it gets you out of that yes, debt where right. they take you they say okay you're indebted to us we're going to we'll take you you can work for us and we'll pay off your debt so in that way it's a blessing because that releases you from that debt yeah yeah. Yes, in some ways, well, but then you're released in the... Well, when we think of, I guess I should specify slavery in that, because as Americans, we think of slavery, servant. indentured servitude, um, you know, no, so in, in a sense it's slavery, but it's, it's not like, what? It's still a curse. It's, all right, I'll, I'll give you that. Yeah. You, <laughs> it's, it's, you're still a slave. You're still a slave. Right. It's, it's not the ideal... But there's some relief in that. Yeah, well. there can yeah. be... Keep in mind, um, yeah, to be – when you're not free. I mean when, when God talks about blessings in the Old Testament, you know, he talks about like every man under his own vine and fig tree and stuff like that. Like like he has property. He has freedom. And he's not indebted to or even a slave to, you know, another person. So, yeah, in a sense, slavery is a curse. I, I wouldn't say – the word isn't blessing, I think. The word is okay. mercy. 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 Yeah. Thank you. There's mercy within the curse. Yeah. Yes, mercy and judgment, right? Yeah, um, and mercy and judgment. Mercy and judgment. You know, we think of like the, the shadow slavery that we had in here in America. Right. And people you know, people yeah. want to condemn the Bible because like, oh, you guys approve of, of, of slavery. Yep. No. Uh, <laughs> well, yes. Uh, <laughs> not, <laughs> no, not the way you're thinking of it. <laughs> That's right. man-stealing. Yeah. Right. The, the slavery that we had in America where people stole other people and put them on a boat and shipped them over here, that was called man-stealing. And if you were guilty of man-stealing or had a, yeah. a man in your possession that you know you were going to sell, yeah. that was guilty of the death penalty. And so, no, we, we don't approve of that kind of slavery. But huh. – <laughs> what? The no. qualifications. The qualifications, yeah. yes. It's no quote. No <laughs> Doug Wilson would not approve. Give them nothing. Just tell them, yes, we approve of slavery. <laughs> we 
we approve of slavery. We do not approve of man stealing. That's it. That's all you get. No. Because <laughs> um, keep in mind, we didn't have, and look at the mess that we have, our economy and, and our, you know, our financial situation as a nation when we're trying to, go ahead. Is it a, oh. She was asking specifically about the Pentecostal, how they talk about generational curses. Generational curses. Yes. Um, sorry, I would have got there eventually if I wanted to finish what I wanted to say. I hope everyone on the tape is enjoying this. Like, it's like a tennis match in my ears. Um, <laughs> back and forth. And just to simply answer it, um, those are. <laughs> She is my helpmate, as you were. Please, please. I'm taking care of in Christ. There you so go. So if, if someone's saying, if someone's in Christ and they're saying they have this generation, those, those things are, that's not what they're saying. Yeah, no, I, I, I heard that. And that's why I was trying to understand, like, the use of the word curse is kind of came to, like, Excellent. Yeah. It's all right. So if, if you're on, if you're listening to the tape, I mean, hopefully they could pick it up, but they're a little soft-spoken from that distance. Um, and Joelle, my helpmeet, who is a a meat help indeed, um, was answering the question for me. <laughs> to, uh, but yeah, as far as generational curse and stuff like that, I find that kind of stuff kind of fuzzy i mean there is a sense of that we see in scripture about you know like you know those who hate me you know we pay you know, third and fourth generation and so there's sense in that but not always the way they think of it but if you're in christ that's all free and clear you're no longer you're no longer a slave to anything in terms of sin and spiritual like no if, if you're on you know if you're a slave and you're working and you still have to finish that and you know meet that obligation but if you can become free um you know if you're in a situation where where you're enslaved and and you know you're saved you know you're you're still in bondage as it were to that but not you're not a slave to sin anymore uh but in, in Paul says, you know, if you can be free, you know, if you can attain your freedom, great, do that. If he, he goes, if you can't, don't worry about it. He goes, the, the slave is the Lord's free man, you know, because you're under obligation. So he's not, you know, expecting you to go and do what other people could do with their free, you know, with their freedom. He says, on the other hand, <laughs> the, you know, the free man is the Lord's slave. <laughs> oh, you got lots of extra time on your hand. You, you're free. Good. I got some work for you to do, <laughs> you know. So, um, so we have to realize that walking in our circumstances um we don't want to get too hung up on our circumstances feeling like well this is terrible if we're able to change our circumstances lawfully that's great and we have the christian liberty and, and the right to do so um if we can't we should not get fixated on it because we recognize god is sovereign and he's ordained it um If it's an unbiblical law, that's something we probably have to talk about specifics, you know, and that would go beyond the scope of this. But when we're done, when we're done, I'd be happy to have that conversation. I'm sure lots of people here would be happy to have that conversation. Um, but yeah, that would go a little bit beyond the scope of, of where we're at. But just in terms of, of, of you know, curses and stuff like that, um, I mean, slavery, 
slavery was a way to work, you know. If you couldn't pay off your debt, it wasn't like you could go out and get a credit card. You couldn't, you know, whatever. You owed, and you had an obligation to, to pay that. And so slavery was putting yourself in a situation where you would work it off. But, you know, they didn't have, like, uh, all these social service programs. They're like, oh, well, we'll get you a free house, and we'll get you the, you know, the stamps and stuff like that. Like, those things, they're well-intentioned, but they're not the... They're not the job of the state. It's the job of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, slavery, you need a house over your head. You know, you need a roof over your head. You need food. You need clothes. And whoever you were enslaved to was providing those things, you know. Um, but it, it, that shouldn't be viewed as an ideal situation. And we were just talking this uh, afternoon about, you know, the Israelites wanted to go back to Egypt, you know, go back to slavery because, well, at least they had free food, you know. They had all the all the all the stuff. If that's the job of the church, then like when we're evangelizing, like I know um, we typically, you know, we're preaching the gospel about two things, but we're sh- you know, we're sharing the gospel message, we're um, telling people the Bible basically and um, but we don't really like give out free stuff because then mm-hmm. because like we're not trying to convince people mm-hmm. it's not a matter of convincing people or coming up with all these like different methods of telling mm-hmm. people the gospel you can just like go out and say it so that right. like if if it is the church's role to provide those things do we not do that anymore because of many like, churches the government is well, that's what happened. I mean, I, I don't know was the chicken or the egg. I, I don't know exactly what happened first, or if maybe the church was just at some point overwhelmed, or you know, what was it, the Great Depression? Like, where did the, the programs really start coming into full effect, where the government said, you know, this is so big, so massive, we have to do something. Um, and you know, even if they felt like that was the case, they should have been working in conjunction with the church and then like stepped out of it as quickly as possible. But really, that's something that the church should be accomplishing on its own and nowadays we have no excuse because we have so many ways to communicate with each other you know we we don't need that kind of help to do that thing one second um so we don't have to go out you know and and to share the gospel like well and and here's a sandwich you know if you're going to people who are hungry sandwich might be helpful though you know to to do that so you, you see like lighthouse mission you know sharing you know, they're, they're giving out food to people who are hungry and stuff. And ideally, they're, they're sharing a gospel message with them at the same time. But you don't have to think, well, every time I give food, I have to give the gospel. Every time I, you know, share the gospel, I have to give food. There's proper context for, for every situation. But when someone is hungry and they're looking for food, they should be going to the church and recognizing the church is the one who cares about the poor. The church is the one that feeds the hungry. And why do they do that? They keep talking about this Jesus, right? And so who gets the glory? You know, when they see your good works and they give glory to your Father in heaven, that's how it's supposed to work. If the state's giving you the food, who gets the glory? The state. So What we should be doing is like, uh, you know, with the we have this ministry of mercy and we're trying to get it moving and we're trying to figure out. But we were going out a lot. We were going out and and, 
mean, yeah. But we were also yeah. looking at more effective ways of ministering. So opening up a food pantry, having a place where people could come and get like warm jackets and you know blankets or whatever. But they would establishing a relationship with the community that they would know where to go, you know, to yeah. get help. Unfortunately, in our day and age, because the government's all over the place and they're throwing money at people with no accountability. Yeah, people are going to go for that. I mean, I had a brother at another church who was doing a homeless ministry, but there were rules to it because, you know, unfortunately, it, it, there's drugs and alcohol and weapons and all sorts of stuff. Like, once you came in for the night, you know, you were here until morning because you know, even they're homeless, they still got their cell phone, you know, and they're calling a dealer to drop off a fix, you know, for them. And like, no, we're not going to have that kind of stuff in here. So if you go outside, and they gave him some grace. They recognized some of these guys. They're, you know, they're smoking cigarettes and they got habits, whatever like that. Like they would take him out for a smoke break, you know. But they keep their eye on them. They keep them so there's no interaction and possible trouble with unsavory elements on the outside. But they'd give them, they would give them haircuts. They they'd have a mobile shower unit come and give them showers. They they'd feed them, you know, give them a warm place and stuff. And that works in the winter time. And in the summertime, so like, nope, I'd rather sleep outside than deal with the rules, you know? So people, if they can get help without accountability, depravity of man, they're going to go for that. Mm -hmm. And the state does that with no accountability. And so people are like, I'll take the state handout because they don't put any obligations mm -hmm. on it. But that's not the real world in God's world. God does give us stuff. But yeah, there are obligations. It's God's world. We have to honor God. We have to thank God. Mm -hmm. We have to sacrifice to God. And people, they want to be autonomous as much as humanly possible. And so that's what we see. But that's why the government should recognize mm -hmm. God set principles here, and we're making a mess of our economy trying to do this. But that's the sinfulness of man. So Maria had a question, and then... It's more of a statement. I mean, okay. just the fact that, like, the church during that time when the government was taking over and providing financial aid really failed, like, to assert their... Their authority. I mean, and Who like failed? also the church in terms of charity and like mm -hmm. the separation between church and state. Like, we also see this with the whole marriage issue. It's like the church was pretty silent or not as vocal as it should have been during like the 40s and 50s with the serial divorces. Mm -hmm. And then we get to gay marriage and it looks like, how did this happen? But, you know, we're letting the let the state take. One year before that, I mean, what do they say, right? About the power vested in me by the state of such and such. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a. Um, there's, there's limitations on what the state should do, obviously. Severe, severe limitations that we have long past, long since forgotten. Uh, we have to recognize that the church is called to be salt and light, and we're. That means being vocal. That means speaking to these things. Um, and when we have a, a you know a government the way we have, we're supposed to be you know <laughs> chuckle. It's representative. Uh -huh. um, yeah, once upon a time, right? Um, but we're supposed to be a republic. It's, it's supposed to be laws. There's supposed to be a way of doing things, and we've gone away from that. Um, and, and the reality it is, um, as people, freedom requires responsibility. And most people are overwhelmed by the responsibility, and so they'll give away their freedom if only someone will say they'll take care of it. And this is where we are today. This is 
this is coming to the end result of laziness. Did you have a who had the question? You? Chris? Chris? Oh, yeah, I was going to say, when we go out, like, provide for people, we should be like, we should tell them, like, listen, you got to be willing to work. Mm-hmm. You know? There are, like, um, George Grant in, in Houston back in the, uh, the 80s, when there was, like, a severe recession. A lot of people out, uh, out of work, unemployed, you know, homeless. Um, you know, they cooperated with churches and even and social services, you know, not only feeding people, but getting people back on their feet, training mm-hmm. them. Um, yeah. But it wasn't just—it wasn't just hands out. Mm-hmm. He, he would say it's a hand up. You know, it's you're mm-hmm. you're helping someone get back on their feet. Mm-hmm. I mean, even out here, uh, Pastor Jensen, uh, the church—a uh, church he was formerly part of—they had a food pantry. They had things where they would help people. But they would like, well, you know, we'll give you a little work to do, you know, mm-hmm. and then we'll we'll give you a bag of groceries, we'll give you whatever. And most people were like, they were thrilled for the opportunity mm-hmm. to actually work, you know, and earn what they were doing. Mm-hmm. But then you had others who were just, it was, uh, um, you know, they had a system like I'm gonna call this church and then this church and then this church, and they just want to get the handout mm-hmm. and move on. And if you didn't play that game with them, they just they didn't come back. They didn't mm-hmm. bother asking anymore. So yeah, no, there's there's a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. So we should be about the church is not about making converts. We're about making disciples, mm-hmm. teaching them all that Christ has commanded. Mm-hmm. So that's part of discipleship is is making someone a productive human being, a productive citizen. Mm-hmm. Um, entitled children are 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 no good for anyone, you know. Um, but we act like entitled children. Uh, you know, if we don't get our way, we'll uh, we'll cry, we'll or we'll riot. <laughs> you know, um, it's you know we, we see a, a society where a certain p- political party, you know, um, in, in the city that you know, that's the predominant viewpoint, they're boarding up their their windows and their places of business because if the election doesn't go their way, <laughs> there could be looting and rioting and fires and everything. So they board the place up, and then the other guy is said to have won. He goes, oh, it's amazing. Everyone's coming out, and they're all happy and joyful. Like, we were worried about riots. Well, yeah, that's exactly what you've had with these same people if it had gone the other way. So, you know, we have to help people understand that, I mean, discipleship, you know, that that, that Jesus is king, and this is what he expects of us. And, and all those people who are in positions of authority, they're in authority because he's put them there. But they have to answer to him. They have roles. They have their lane that they're supposed to stay in. And, and But if we don't understand these things as a church, we're not going to tell anyone, you know. And so we, we just – we're left to man and his whims and what he thinks is best. And if you don't have a standard, you don't have a target, you know. And you, if you aim for nothing, you'll hit it every time. I feel like the predominant message today of – Evangelicals is, you know, this world is not our home, but it is our home. This is the garden that we have to tend, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. That's what has to be the message. Mm-hmm. God has called us to to be salt and light. Mm-hmm. He didn't call us to just wait and try to, you know, mm-hmm. just bide your time until you get out. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to be active. We're, we are supposed to be tending the garden as mm-hmm. a word. This is yeah. the earth that we're going to inherit. Mm-hmm. Um, and Christ is king. He has all authority, and we're his ambassadors. And so we just also say, well, there's a king, but you don't have to really listen to him. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about it. It's fine. That's not working out so well for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have to change our ways.
So, okay. That was a bit of an excursion off. <laughs> Anyone have any? No, that's uh, – the conversations are good because, it, you know, I, I'm always glad if people have questions or comments or whatever. I like to know that people are thinking through <laughs> and interacting with this. Um, and, you know, and sometimes going off on little rabbit trails are helpful just to get us thinking about these things and talking about things that we might not, but they're valuable. So always grateful for the interaction. So mandatory sacrifices and free markets. Covenant-breaking man instinctively looks to the works of his own hands as the basis of redemption. Let me say that one more time. Did you catch that? Covenant-breaking man instinctively looks to the works of his own hands as the basis of his redemption. He believes that the work of his hands will placate God. He exhibits his faith in two ways. First, he, he seeks to offer a public sacrifice of reduced value. Right? Cain offered a agricultural produce rather than a slain animal um, and that's representative of a man seeking an alternative sacrifice mm -hmm. he proclaimed ritually that he believed that his blood his life was not on the line he didn't see the importance of it. he's like i can just give god whatever second man repeatedly places himself under covenantal jurisdiction of false divinities that time and again claim total sacrifice this is why the quest for autonomy from the God of the Bible has led politically to the divinization of the state. No matter how strong the technical case against the uh, omnicompetent state may be, autonomous man returns to the theology of the messianic state like a dog to its vomit. That which can command unlimited sacrifice is seen as a savior of man and society. This is what we're seeing. <laughs> um, Either we're trying to offer God less and make it public, like, oh, I, you know, <laughs> we don't have to give God our everything. God knows my heart. Yes, he does. And <laughs> that, should, that should scare you out of your socks. Um, but they think that by saying that and be called, well, God is love and, and God is forgiving and God is merciful. Remember, there is no mercy without sacrifice. And look at the sacrifice God had to offer that we could be saved, that we could be set free. And so for man to say, I can give him less, right, is, is to spit in the face of God, you know. But then if we do think, oh, we need, you know, then we look to false divinities. We, 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 we have idols and we make an idol out of the state. And so we look to the state. He says, covenant-breaking man is schizophrenic. He seeks a divinity in history powerful enough to bless his work Bless the work of his hands, yet not so powerful as to constitute a threat to his autonomy. Um, but we see that when it comes to the state, you know, if we decide that the state is our savior and we're going to make our sacrifices to the state, we're not going to put ourselves under the standard of God. If we refuse to acknowledge God as sovereign, something else has to take that place. Uh, I was listening to uh, Doug Wilson the other day, and he was talking about you can listen to people, and you will find out who their sovereign is right away. You know, he goes, "If I," it was, must have been an old reference. He was talking about Hannity and Combs on Fox, right? You heard that one. Um, he goes, "I know where they're coming from. I know their worldview by how they argue. It's by what they say. If if one goes, oh, you know, you're you're thinking this, but but the Bible says this in Romans, and the other one says, oh yeah, but you're forgetting about James." Well, then we know, like, God is their standard, that the Bible is their worldview, and that's their their authority. But he goes, 
listen, the way things are today, the polls say that, you know, this is how people feel about this. He goes, no, but there's this other poll over here, and it says that people feel about this. What's their authority? Demos, the people, right? The, the, the God is the, is the people. What, what does the public opinion say? What, what direction are they going into? And so when you do that, you end up under the state, right? Because you're saying, like, well, how do the people feel? So we, we have this democracy, and we're thinking, well, the people rule. We're not supposed to be a democracy. It's not supposed to be mob rule, majority rule. Um, well, if I have one more extra person on my team, we're taking it down, right? It's supposed to be a, a republic. It's supposed to be laws. We're supposed to have principles that we, we follow. And um, we've gotten far away from that. But we want someone who will bless our work and, and take care of us and yet not impinge on our freedoms and our rights. But it doesn't work like that. Uh, it says whenever and uh, whenever and wherever limits or boundaries, boundaries and dominion, remember, placed by God on man's required sacrifices are ignored. Whenever we ignore God's required sacrifices, we can expect to see the state substitute itself as a new God, which in principle requires unlimited sacrifice. Do you believe that to be true? <laughs> does our does our government require unlimited sacrifice, or for you to be ready? To offer unlimited sacrifice. Try going into a store. Try going into a store without a mask, mm. and see if they don't expect unlimited sacrifice. Mm. You mm. will do whatever it takes because we said so. Um, mm. It is fact. Schooling our children, I still have to report to the state. Right. Everything, you know. So you we pay a fortune here on the island for property taxes that go primarily to the school system, right? Um, and yet, if you decide to educate your children at home and not use any of their fancy buildings or curriculum or anything like that, you still get to pay those property taxes. <laughs> um, and when they say you still get to pay it, obviously, like, you don't have a choice. <laughs> you can't, like, say, I'd like not to pay those taxes. I have to pay for my own curriculum and, and my own place to, to, to teach my kids. Like, you're going to have to pay twice, right? And because we're... Um, the ones who know best, <laughs> you have to tell us what you're teaching your kids. You know, if you're uh, if you homeschool in New York, you got to send in your letter of intent. I intend on homeschooling my children this year for this grade. You have to send in your IHIP. You have to tell them what curriculum you're going to use to homeschool your kids that year. And then you have to send them quarterly reports to tell them how they're doing <laughs> each quarter for how they're doing. So the state has decided, and they have to approve it. Right, and then you send a um, a yearly assessment, a final evaluation for the year, um, and you might want to send that letter of intent for next year. So you have to tell the state how you're going to educate your children, and they have to approve that. They have to decide that the way you're going to educate your child is okay. That's a god. Okay, that's a god. That's a god who's saying, "I know best," and those children. Are actually mine mm -hmm. and you're a steward of my children because God says <laughs> to raise your children in the knowledge and admonition of him and in Deuteronomy 6 it says you're gonna teach your children to love the Lord your God and you're gonna teach in my ways when you lie down when you rise up when you walk by the way when you sit in your house God says how you're gonna educate your children and when and where and all that because they're his right and the state says I'm God they're mine, and if you don't raise my children right, I'll take them away from you. Mm -hmm. That's a God. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, that's that's the state putting itself in the place of God, and we, as good citizens, say, okay, right, and now repeat to yourself, I am free, right? Do you feel free? <laughs> do you feel like you have freedom, or do you feel all of a sudden like my wrists feel very heavy? <laughs> I don't see the chains, but I feel them. We've gotten used to them. We've gotten used to them, so you have to wear a mask. Um, but we're pro-life. And they try to throw that in our face. and <laughs> say, well, you're pro-life, so you should care about the living too, and so you should wear a mask. But what happened to my body and my choice, <laughs> right? <laughs> my body, my choice. I don't have to keep that child in my womb. I can kill it because it would be very inconvenient for me to carry this child to term. Well, it's very inconvenient for me to wear a mask, but you expect <laughs> me to wear that mask, you know? But... You keep that child in your room, first of all, because it's an image bearer of God, and you don't have the right to kill a fellow image bearer of God, right? Finish the sentence for me. <laughs> so they don't have the right to kill the image bearer of God, and now... The masks. The masks. <laughs> I got caught up on something else. For a virus that won't even kill you. For a virus that won't kill you. You don't have the right to kill this child but you know they'll say well you don't have to be inconvenienced by that child but aren't we supposed to care about the child and so we should suffer inconvenience we should suffer difficulty for the sake of that child but now you want me to wear a mask for a virus that you know the statistics tell us actually is not that dangerous at all and wouldn't you know god has something to say about sickness and quarantine who gets quarantined in scripture, the sick get quarantined, not the healthy. And if you're at higher risk, then, you know, you have the Christian liberty to further protect yourself and quarantine yourself and, and take extra precautions for your health. And that's right and that's good. But do you shut down an entire economy? Do you tell someone that all of a sudden they are not an essential worker, you know, because they could somehow be risking spreading the virus? How are you not an essential worker if you have to provide for your family, <laughs> if you have to have put food on the table, if you have to keep that, you know, the, the bills to have the lights on and the roof over your head and all that stuff? The government says, I'm God. I will tell you what's best for life. I will tell you what's best for you. I will tell you what's best for neighbor. And you will either obey or you will go to prison and not be socially distant <laughs> from the people in prison um, when it comes down to it. So... This is, this is what happens when we put off God's required sacrifices. When we don't acknowledge God, another God must take his place. And the state is always very quick to do so. Um, and so he's talking about, you know, from, uh, and, you know, I thought I was going to finish this chapter tonight. Yeah. <laughs> One. Uh, chapter one. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. Um, let me try to finish this part, and then we'll we'll do the conclusion next week. And if we get through, I don't know if we'll be able to get through this. Um, it's amazing. I'm always right. I'm like, oh, do I have enough material for the class? <laughs> do you have a paragraph? You'll be fine. <laughs> Sunday school? How many weeks am I I have four pages of notes. I did the first night. First Saturday evening, I did four pages of notes. I thought, oh, man, I don't have enough. 
four weeks later, I'm still on page three. Right. <laughs> still in the introduction. Introduction part 35. <laughs> We're almost there. We're almost there. Um, all right. We're actually past 50 minutes. Um, for the sake of time, I'm going to stop it here because I don't want to. I don't want to rush through anything. Some of this, I, I find all of this stuff extremely interesting, and I know some of these conversations, they're only slightly off topic, really, um, because the reality is, what does the scripture say, and how does it apply to the situation? And all of these things apply in, in various ways, and if we don't realize that, I remember having a discussion four years ago um, with someone about about the election, and um, they agreed with me about. Who to vote for more precisely who not to vote for um but it was kind of like show your work how'd you get there how do you get to the point where you say i'm not voting for this person um and you could have lots of reasons but is there a biblical standard like how can you can you use that standard to evaluate all the candidates or is this one just personally distasteful for you you know so you know four years later now we're having the same conversation. But is it the same conversation? Are, are all the circumstances the same at this point? And I would say, no, they're not. And so I, I did change the way I voted, and I had reasons. But I, I'm looking to Scripture to, to guide me. How do I do this? It's a bad situation, right? What's, what's the most biblical solution? What's, the most, what, what's our hope for applying wisdom and trying to figure out? And it's something that you wrestle with. I mean... You know, it's the glory of God to conceal things. It's the glory of kings to search them out, right? So we're we're meant to, to wrestle with this and to try to figure it out so that we can rightly apply the word of, of God, that we be workers who need not be ashamed, right? Rightly divert, dividing the word of truth. So this person, like, well, I you know, I agree with what you said back then. I, but you didn't agree with what I said back then. And, well, yeah, well I, I still agree with what you said back then, I suppose, and now I'm like, we're not on the same page because we're not using the same standard. Uh, and I tried to have a private conversation with that person, not to be argumentative, but just like, really, what's your standard? If you don't like the Old Testament standard because we're not under the law, <laughs> sort of, yes, not really. Um, <laughs> yes and no. <laughs> um, you know, if you go to the New Testament, all right, well, how would you, what standard would you get out of the New Testament? What principle would you use to apply this? And they didn't want to talk about it. You know why? Because I don't think that they had a standard. I think they had a subjective opinion, and that's nice, but not very helpful, because we can all have subjective opinions and come to different places. What does the word say? So we need to know. We need to think about it. We need to be trying to figure these things out and see how do they apply uh, to our situation, because if things go as they're going, you could say this is my opinion, <laughs> yes and no. Um, our society is headed for collapse, okay? Um, and I don't say that just because our politics are terrible on both sides. I say it because the church doesn't recognize it. They don't see it. They don't see the cliff, and they're just like lemons. I said, not lemons. Not the, not the citrus fruit. <laughs> lemmings. Those creatures that jump off the cliff following everyone else. Don't mind my pronunciation. I'm a much, I'm a much, much better oh, reader. Lemurs. <laughs> I read much better than I speak. Um, 
Lemmings. Lemmings. We don't see. We don't see the danger that we're in. Like people see the danger to a certain extent, but their solution is wrong because it's not biblical. It's partisan. Oh well, we need to get the Democrats out. We need the Republicans in. Partisan. Partisan. I'm French. It's getting later. It's getting later. I am grateful that God can use a talking donkey to accomplish his, his magnificent will and purpose. So I, uh, it helps to keep me humble. Thank you. <laughs> hey, you want you want God to take away your pride? Just ask. He's happy to do it. <laughs> it's always. <laughs> um, no, it's great. Um, but the reality is. I still like partisan, uh, partisan. We, 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 <laughs> it makes me feel more sophisticated. <laughs> He's like, it's funny because it makes you sound less sophisticated. Ah, <laughs> uh, I'm glad we can laugh about this. It's <laughs> a car heads off the cliff. <laughs> we had a good time. Um, it was. <laughs> no, the reality is though. And it, and it really does bother me because I, I see social media and I see I see how dear brothers and sisters who I know love the Lord and love the church and they want what's right. If you don't have a biblical standard, though, you're you're never going to be able to attack this thing head on and bring truth to the situation. You're never going to bring uh, a, a feasible, godly biblical solution if you don't know what God's standard is for it. We have to know the word, and we have to just assuming I know enough to get by. You know, um, this this is crazy. This is you know Gary North. He's in that case anyway, right? No, yeah. <laughs> what he's saying here. I mean, like he's an economist in his own right, well known as an economist. But I'm not asking you just to take a, a man's opinion because he's got a degree or he's you know well known. There's lots of people who are well known with degrees who don't know anything, <laughs> right? But look at what the scriptures say and, and see. So the challenge is on us to to know God's word, to pass it on to others, to disciple the nations, to disciple you know, the area of influence that God has given us. We all have a sphere of influence, people that we can share this truth with. Society collapses, we get to rebuild, right? How are you going to rebuild? Wood, hay, and stubble? Or precious Precious metals and gems and stuff like that. The things that are used to describe the word of God, the, the value uh, of it. So we will carry on this conversation uh, next week and, and we'll see how it goes. And we'll take as much time as, as we like. As long as everyone's getting it and interacting and thinking through, wonderful. So let's close in prayer and then we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll have some more conversation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you you have made a world and you have made it in a way that is rational and logical. Um, and Lord, if only we would acknowledge that you are sovereign over it and work within that framework that you have established and stop being rebellious. Lord, we know that you show us that there's blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. And Father, we just pray that the church would come to understand what your word says and how to apply it, how to apply it in their 
individual lives and their individual relationships and how to disciple the nations and, and say how these things ought to be in, in between businesses and corporations and, and in the government and, and beyond. Lord, help us to know the truth. Uh, we, we understand your hand of judgment. Um, we understand that you are also merciful even in your judgment. So, Father, we look to you. We pray that you continue to grow us in our, our knowledge and understanding of you and in our love for you Amen. and in our service for you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Can I say one thing? Should I have this on the tape or not? No, you're not You have been listening to the Reformed Rookie Podcast, where we aim to teach Reformed theology to beginners or rookies. Be sure to look us up on the web at www.reformedrookie.com, where you will find many more learning tools and aids to help you grow in your understanding of all things Reformed. And remember, Semper Reformanda. Dr. Luther, are you prepared to retract these writings? In some I discuss faith and good works. If I were to retract these, I should be denying accepted Christian truths. Martin Luther, you have not yet answered the question. Will you recant? Or will you not? Here it is. I am bound to my beliefs by the texts of the Bible. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me.